Welcome to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong on Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Okay, welcome back to Hong Kong on Screen podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have a very honorable guest, Professor Stanley Rosen. Who is a professor at USC teaching Chinese politics, and also、um, he himself is a Chinese film industry expert. So today I invited Dr. Rosen. You're here, right? I am here. Yeah. Okay. Say hi to our listener. Our listener actually half of them、Hello. come from the United <laughs> States, half like come from Hong Kong and other part of the world.、Mm-hmm. So that's、um, many people are listening to us. Okay. Um, so in this podcast, I'm going to we are going to discuss a film called Farewell My Concubine, and then I think to、uh, maybe to some Hong Kong people they will think, oh, 霸王别姬霸王别姬 probably they don't see this as a Hong Kong film, but、right. actually I see this as a Hong Kong film because we have Leslie Jeong in this film, and then also the story actually is also based、um, on、um, Hong Kong author Lillian Lee, right, Lee Bigwa.、Right. So、mm-hmm. I totally consider this is actually is a Hong Kong film,、uh, but the director, of course, he's not a Hong Kong Hong Konger. He's Chen Kaige, is a very famous fifth generation Chinese film director. Okay, so Dr. Rosen, today I want to like、um, I invite you to come to this podcast because I have many questions about the release of this film.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, not only in United States、uh, but also in China. So let's talk about the release in United States. So right、mm-hmm. now the film. Film movement,、um, uh, an organization in New York, they are going to re-release this film in theater in by the end of September, both in United States and also in Canada. And one of the promotion slogan that they mentioned that is this is the full version, uncut version. So basically, it means like thirty years ago when the company when they release in United States is a cut version, right, Dr. Rosen? It was when it was when Miramax,、uh, the Harvey Weinstein company at that time. When Miramax released it on DVD, they had the full version, but the theatrical version was、um, maybe eleven to fourteen minutes shorter.、Uh, I, I counted over eleven minutes that were cut out, but there may have been actually a few more minutes. It, it was the truncated version.、Uh, when Louis Malle, head of the Con Jury,、uh, saw the American version. Uh, he said there were twenty minutes cut out. I don't think there were full twenty minutes cut out, but but there were. Based on my numbers, on yeah, the information,、yeah. is fourteen minutes. That's what from that's what, that's what yeah, one hundred fifty-seven and one hundred and seventy-one. So this、that's、two、right. version. I、mm-hmm. counted only about eleven and a half minutes out, scene by scene. But you know there could be more that were missed.、Uh-huh. So, so what what kind of thing that they cut actually? Well, talk about Harvey Weinstein. So、uh, a lot easier now that that、uh, he's incarcerated、uh, for his crimes. But but I don't think this would be re-released、um, by film movement if Harvey Weinstein was still active. He would make sure that that his company did it. But you know, Harvey Weinstein did not get the nickname Harvey Scissorhands、okay. after the film Edward Scissorhands. You know, Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder film for nothing. Uh, this was one of many films he cut. He he would choose films from Miramax that he thought、uh, had a chance to do well in the North American market, and so he did it with、uh, Snowpiercer, the Korean film. Got into a very public fight with the director over that. 
Uh, he cut much more, at least 22 minutes out of the Grandmaster, the Wong Kar Wai film. Um, and he made it more like a film noir. He had a voiceover. He, he had uh, uh, English language on the screen when new characters were introduced to try and make it say what he's trying to do is to make it simple and shorter. Um, and he, you know, I did a paper on this once so way back, which I presented at the Beijing Film Academy and also at the Baptist University in Hong Kong on um, remakes, American remakes of, of East, East Asian films. And I included a little bit of, of Harvey Weinstein's uh, role in that. But he was basically saying with Snowpiercer, the Korean film, he's basically saying, hey, I'm not cutting for the fun of it. I'm trying to get the shit to work, is the way he put it. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a film director and your film is called Shit by Harvey Weinstein, you're not going to be happy. So yes, this, of course. This, this is one of, of, of many films uh, he cut. And I would say he cut uh, some of the opera scenes, certainly, and he cut some of the politics scenes, too, things which would not be understood, understood by an American audience. And, and, and it led to some difficulties and some segues. Uh, for example, I'll just give you two examples of two of the, of the uh, maybe longer cuts. Uh, so let me let me give you two. You still go back to the this, the cut that you mentioned about. They cut the politics. They cut the opera, the Beijing opera scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They cut not all of them certainly, but they cut a, a number of scenes where Beijing opera is being performed, and they cut a number of scenes which had some political implications related to the Cultural Revolution, for example. I can give you two examples of, of cuts uh, because it relates to the coherence of the film as well. Another mm-hmm. one of your questions. Um, we we uh, we we see a scene uh, where the two leading characters are are performing for People's Liberation Army troops that have entered Beijing um, in, in 1949. And after they after they do this Peking Opera performance, uh, the audience, I guess. Uh, of PLA troops uh, re- reciprocates by performing a patriotic song, a uh, Chinese patriotic song. Um, and you see Xiao Su, the orphan that has been adopted by Cheng Diyi, the Leslie Jern character. Uh, you see how much he enjoys listening to the patriotic song. And that then segues to him happily skipping through the streets of, of Beijing. Um, so without that early, cutting that earlier scene, of the Peking Opera performance of the PLA troops and the PLA troops singing back, you don't get the motivation for Xiao Su skipping down the street in a very with a very happy smile on his face. The whole point was to show that he has bought in to the communist rhetoric. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's one example. And he's cutting it because it's Beijing Opera, Americans don't understand it anyway. Yes, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the second scene, and that's the one related to politics, um, you have, again, Xiao Su, uh, he's um, in a room with all the gifts that uh, Yuan Shuqing, the uh, godfather of Peking Opera, in a sense, that's a character. Um, he, he's um, dressed up a little bit in, in Peking Opera costume. He's got all these gifts in front of him. He's singing the song from Farewell, My Concubine. Uh, and you see in the back, uh, Red Guards, uh, coming in, or at least the military people, people in military uniforms coming in, um, and it looks like they're going to give him some kind of a summons. Uh, so he's being arrested, basically, it looks like, uh, as the crackdown of the Cultural Revolution continues. Uh, in the book, he's actually put in prison as a gang of four followers, Shao Su. Mm-hmm. So that's the politics stuff that was one example of politics that were cut 
that was cut. Because again, I assume Harvey Weinstein felt, oh, you know, American audience is not, they're not going to understand what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not immediately, unless you know something about Chinese politics, but perhaps you might not immediately know what it, what it means. So that was cut. But again, it, it, it diminishes uh, the uh, Weinstein's version because it's, it's, it's an important part of the film to show the Cultural Revolution basically consumed everyone. Uh, even the people in favor of it. But right. about the actor and actor, like the two key characters, they are men, right? The man-man relationship is not being edited in the U.S. release version, right? Not, no, not, like, not, not as, not as, that, there are certain scenes that, that were cut that relate to that. Uh, and certain scenes that were cut that relate to the kind of a triangle between Zhu uh, Shen, the Gong Li character, um, two male characters. So certain scenes were cut, but not overall. You really can't cut that out uh, completely. Mm -hmm. um, there were some scenes with uh, with Yuan Shiqing and, and, and Chen Gei uh, also were cut. That Leslie Jordan and Guo characters that were cut too, uh, because they're also singing opera when he goes to Yuan Shiqing's house. So I mean, in many ways, Huffy Weston is cutting arbitrarily. He doesn't know what he's cutting because he doesn't really know Chinese politics. I don't think. Um, so, uh, you know, the shortest scenes they would cover about nine seconds and the longest one I saw was about two minutes and two seconds, but, but, and I've read some of that online as well. And there may have been some other scenes too, uh, that were cut, but, um, he's basically cutting it to make it shorter and, and making it simple. Uh, I would say it's still re it's a coherent film, uh, but just, it, it's a diminished film. And it did well uh, in North America for the time. It made $5.2 million at the North American box office, which was good for the time, because that was before the success of all the martial arts films, beginning with Crouchy Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, that started in December 2000. So from 2001 to 2006, you had a whole series of martial arts films doing, as you know, I'm sure, doing very well at the North American box office. Uh, you know, Crouching Tiger made 128 million. Uh, so five million doesn't sound like much, but at that time, it was actually it was actually very good. It, for comparison, John E. Mo's uh, films that were popular in the U.S. from 1991 to 1995, Red Sorghum wasn't released, the 88 film. But after that, you know, Judo, for example, Story of Chou Uh Shanghai Tried was the last one of those, Raise the Red Lantern. You know, those those films made some a little bit over two million dollars a piece. So this was a, this was twice as much a film on my concubine. So you and, mean among all those fifth generation filmmakers, this one actually is the best in terms of box office? I would say so, and and, and the reason is you had Harvey Weinstein uh, basically in charge. Now, if you look at other John Emo films like Hero, Hero made fifty three million dollars because that is two thousand already, that's, so it's not in nineteen ninety three. That's that's not a, a fifth generation film of that era. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, but Harvey Weinstein behind the film will make it successful. Uh, he tried a lot harder for Grandmaster, took out full page ads, Quentin Tarantino, Samuel L. Jackson, say it's a great film, full page ads, plays like New York Times. Uh, and he still only made 6.6 .6 million with the Grandmaster, in spite of all the edits he had done and so on. So uh, 5.2 million is, is, is very good for that period of time. And also this movie probably may be the winner of a Golden Globe, also a help. Yeah, oh yeah, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? That's right, that's right. Well, it had the buzz of all the awards, that's right. Yeah, 
Yeah. And 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 Gung Lee was already known. Yes. A little bit. Exactly. Uh, because mm-hmm. of Johnny Mo. Okay, so very good. I think you already answered my second question. That is, that's the additive version makes sense, right? You said that actually is quite good, right? Is even though it's well, a it's, it's reasonable, to do it. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you still you still have 157 minutes, so yeah, it, it's still going to have a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. so let's talk about the ending of the uh, the movie okay. because it's quite different. I remember when I took your course, your class actually yeah. is about Chinese film and politics, right? You specially mentioned about the ending compared to the original book is a a, a big change. Actually, it's not related to the U.S. release. It's just the director Chen Kaige himself. He changed the ending. Yes. Okay. You have the book. I know. Okay. The English okay. version. <laughs> so you know, I'm not making it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, as an American audience, as an American scholar, what do you see? And also, as a political scientist, especially Chinese political scientists, what do you see about this ending? Why did the director make that change? And then, what do you see about this ending? Well, yeah, the first because it's very have, different. You, it is, and you have to start with why the book ends the way it does. Have yes, you read because the book? it's. Yes, because it's a, a Hong Kong writer. <laughs> she yeah, make right. it related to Hong Kong, and then also yeah. I think that is something to show about the Hong Kong identity. And yeah. then you know that because culture after Cultural Revolution, there's a large wave of Chinese immigrant they moved to Hong Kong. Right. I think from the Hong Kong perspective, it made this kind of like connection, and then make the two actors came to Hong Kong, and then. Like to make Hong Kong as a meeting place for them. I think that's totally right. makes sense from the Hong Kong people perspective, right? Okay. okay. So it's your turn to talk about the Chinese perspective. Okay, the Chinese perspective. I did, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the, first of all, we start with the book is 1985 when it mm-hmm. came out, and and the author makes it very clear in what she said and in the book. It was after the joint declaration of 1984 between the British. And、uh, between Margaret Thatcher and, and Deng Xiaoping、uh, on the transition to 1997,、uh, it was it was a time as you know the last page of the book is very revealing in that regard.、Um, it was a time of great uncertainty、uh, for the future of Hong Kong when when she was、uh, finishing writing the book.、Uh, in fact, the last page of the book mentions the Joint Declaration signing and the question: How much freedom is Hong Kong going to have? In the future, and she makes it very clear that that question is of no interest to、uh, Duan Shaolong,、uh, John Fungi's character in the film.、Uh, he's gone to Hong Kong from Fuzhou. He he's left uh, China, uh, and he's not doing well, to say the least,、uh, in Hong Kong.、Um, but that interest is that 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 transition is of no interest to Duan Shaolong.、Um, The movie ends with the Changdei、uh, killing himself. That's Liz and Jung's character、uh, in the role of the concubine Yuji、uh, in 1977 on an empty stage. After very important, after、uh, the Gang of Four had been overthrown. Now he does the same thing, attempts the same thing in Hong Kong. He's still living in mainland China. Make it very clear that Duan Shaolo is living in Hong Kong. Changdei is still living. You know, after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, Duan Shaolo was exiled. I think it was the Fujian province, and Chang Dei ended up in Gansu. They were completely separated in the book. In the book,、uh, but he, his opera troupe comes to visit Hong Kong, and in fact, the audiences say, "Why is this such a reputation for this guy? He's not really that good because he's much older than."、Um, anyway,、uh, 
Uh, so the movie ends uh, with Chandi killing himself on an empty stage after the Gang of Four had been overthrown. Well, he, he attempts the same thing in Hong Kong, but he doesn't kill himself. He just kind of gets some blood on his neck because Duan Shalo intervenes and please, you know, don't do this and so on and so forth. So he doesn't kill himself. And and then uh, the Chung Dei character in the book says, you know, I get so caught up in, in, in the concubine, as I always do on stage, I've kind of <laughs> forgotten myself. Mm -hmm. um, so um, at the end of the book, uh, Chung Dei goes back with his troop to China. Uh, Shalo has to leave his apartment. He's basically getting kicked out of his apartment. Um, and he goes to his bathhouse, his favorite bathhouse, the Virtue, Virtue Pool Bathhouse. And even that name has been changed from Virtue, Virtue, Virtue Pool to Finland Baths. And the last line of the book is also very revealing. The last line of the book is, there wasn't even any refuge in virtue anymore. Um, that's the last line of the book, at least in the English version. I assume it's the same, maybe Daldo or something, whatever they might say in Chinese, I'm not mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in the film, the suggestion is also that there's nothing left to live for. Uh, the rest of the Gang of Four doesn't really change anything, or it doesn't change the basic problems, that, the larger problems China, China is facing. You know, the person, when they go up on an empty stage, the person putting on the lights who recognizes them says, you know, uh, we haven't performed for 11 years or whatever, and uh, oh, and, and, and the person putting on the lights says, oh yeah, uh, it's all because of the Gang of Four. Mm -hmm. um, and Duan Shalo says very unconvincingly, even to himself, sure, the sure, the yeah, those are those are That yeah, it's all it's all also glad, but he doesn't believe it. Um, and, and so um, the ending there makes it very clear, Chiang Kai Gu's ending, that um, the problems that China faces right after the Cultural Revolution um, go well beyond the Gang of Four, um, mm -hmm. basically, and the arrest of the Gang of Four. Um, so that, that ending, I mean, it's also indicative, and uh, you say, why did the film get banned in China? It's the next question, but uh, to give you a hint of an answer, one part of the answer is, why do you kill yourself after the Gang of Four has been overthrown? If you're gonna mm -hmm. kill yourself, do it like Zhu Shen did uh, while the Cultural Revolution is going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he, he, he is not supposed to kill himself after the Cultural Revolution, right? After the after, end of After the gang has been arrested, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. things are going to get much better, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so why do you think that this one Chinese filmmaker have this ending, but compared to the original a Hong Kong writer, we have such a very different perspective, right? The end. Yeah. What do you well, think? well, I mean, um, you have you have to look at uh, a number of things. Chiang uh, Kai Gu um, wrote a book called "My Life in Times as a Red Guard." Mm -hmm. uh, he felt very, very regretful over his denunciation of his father. Uh, mm -hmm another film director who actually helped with all those opera scenes in the film. Some people yes. said his father mm -hmm. wrote directed the film, but that's another story. In, mm -hmm. in, in, in any event, um, so uh, he was very much impacted by the Cultural Revolution. Um, and he wanted, I think, to show that impact of the Cultural Revolution doesn't just dissipate overnight. Um, mm -hmm. it's, still, it's still there. 
Um, you know, the one thing I haven't talked about, which I think is worth worth talking about, is the atmosphere in China in 1993. Uh, the film came out. Um, you know, Deng Xiaoping had taken that trip uh, to Shenzhen to restart the reform program. Uh, after 1989, Liu Su, 1989, um, June 4th, and, and the students uh, in Tiananmen Square, the killing, military crackdown, the killings in, in Beijing and elsewhere, um, the conservatives had a good deal of influence in policy. But Deng Xiaoping's trip had a major change in the way things were seen. You know, Zhang Zemin, General Secretary of the Party, was basically not kind of hedging his bets. He wasn't listening to Deng Xiaoping uh, clear, uh, at that time because there are other voices that were even more powerful in that period of time after 1989. And nobody blamed Deng for a mistake publicly, but people felt he trusted, uh, just like Mao Zedong trusted Lin Biao uh, and Liu Xiaoqi, he, he trusted uh, Hu Yaobang and Zhao Ziyang and so on. Um, and so, um, Zhang Zemin reportedly had to make a self-criticism. I think it was March 2000, uh, according to Jungling Magazine in Hong Kong, if I read it at the time, I think it was in March 1993, perhaps. Uh, you know, Deng Xiaoping's speeches, went, but once it became clear, Eric went to Shenzhen, Shanghai, went to Wuhan, I think, that Deng Xiaoping was still in control. Zhang Zemin and, and other top leaders you know, followed suit. And so that period in 1993 had become relatively open. Uh, compared to the period right before that. So that Xu Feng, the producer, you know, the famous martial arts actress in the Shaw Brothers films, actually had dinner yes. with her. She, she gave me a lot of paraphernalia from, from the uh, Feral My Concubine film and some of the other films she produced. Uh, I had picture books and VCDs or DVDs, just a lot of stuff uh, about that. Uh, that's another story I can tell you about Xu Feng later. But anyway, here, um, basically, she was planning to do a film called Life and Death in Shanghai, which was the next project that Chiang Kai-gu was going to direct. And that was um, about uh, Zhang Nian's book, Nian Cheng, Zhang Nian's book, very popular in, in, in English. I actually did a review of that for the Journal of Asian Studies, I think many years ago, and met her as well. Really sweet woman. I, more stories I can tell you about her when I was supposed to see her in Washington and, and gave her the wrong hotel name. But anyway, I, I, I won't, she lived in the Watergate uh, in mm -hmm. Washington. But that was supposed to be the next film. And the, and if you read the book, you would see that's a film about a Christian who survives the Cultural Revolution because of a belief in Christ. And also up until the Cultural Revolution, she was the wife of a shell executive. Up, up until 1966, uh, she never had to face the masses. She had all of these retainers and servants. She was living in a wealthy part of Shanghai at the time. Um, she says in the book, I don't want to interact with the masses. They smell bad. Uh, can you imagine saying that during the Cultural Revolution? So, so um, anyway, uh, that was the next project, which I can't imagine could have been made, but certainly after this, it wasn't going to be made. And, and so that was shelved and never, never got made. Uh, so the atmosphere in 1993 is also very important, I think. Yeah, I have additional point for that because during 1993, that was also like the first time the Beijing, like yeah. um, to apply for the Olympic Games. Right. So they really want to show our, the international community a kind of like nice image, especially after 1989. They really want to like clean them image right. and 
And then also because this film already won the biggest prize, like the highest award in Cannes in that year. So they actually not only allow this film to make, but they also allow this film to release in China widely for about two weeks. And then, but they stop it and they withdraw it. And then because they they find something issue and then they... Uh, but for the Chinese government, not only the politics is sensitive to them, like the ending you already mentioned, like Dr. Rosen already explained about the ending, they don't like the ending, but also about the man-man relationship. Uh, say they, they also want to make it more low, low profile. Although I think the director, Chen Kai-ge, already made this man-man relationship uh, quite different from the original book, I think, mm. I feel. If mm. you, you you read the uh, like Lian Lee's original book. Yes, okay. Um, so Wait, I think... Do you want to ask me why the film got banned in China? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so tell us. So finally, mm -hmm. it still got banned. Yeah, I mean, you've already answered some of that question. But, uh, well, obviously, one is the homosexuality aspect. Mm -hmm. You know, in, I don't think you were there that day, but um, one of the times I taught my film and politics in China class, I had a visiting delegation from the Odian, and Post and Telecommunications University, Mm -hmm. uh, there were four or five people, four people, I think, that sat in on the film. Plus a lot of Chinese students I invited that day, and, mm -hmm. and in addition to my class. And at the end of the film, one guy from the Post-Telecommunication University got up very lividly and said, this is ridiculous, there's no homosexuality in China. How can this <laughs> film be made? And the other Chinese students, and even some of the other delegation members said, what are you talking about? But, but that gives you an idea of, of, of if he got so upset, you can imagine uh, the issue in China. And then, of course, as I've already said, the suicide in 1977. Uh, mm -hmm. Why commit suicide when things are looking better? Uh, mm -hmm. That's a, an insult um, to Chinese politics, to say the least. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the Cultural Revolution scenes, which, which are in the book as well. Uh, in fact, there are more struggle scenes in the book than in the film. They struggle in, in Tuan Shalou's house first, and then it's a public meeting as well, where all the betrayals take place, a very powerful 10-minute scene, a nine, 10-minute scene. Um, and Chen Kai-gu, of course, felt really bad about the way he had denounced his father mm -hmm. uh, and apologized to him certainly later. Now, the film was... Shown. In fact, the film had been approved. The script had been approved. The final version had been approved by the film bureau. There was no problem with the film. But after it won the award at Cannes, they had a, reportedly um, they had a meeting uh, at the Politburo, uh, top 25 or so leaders of China, uh, where they watched the film to see what all the, the fuss was about. Uh, again, reportedly, because we very hard to get into these meetings if you're not a member of the Bureau. But reportedly, what according to Hong Kong newspapers at least, after that private screening, several members walked out before it was over. They were really upset by the film. And afterwards, several members, uh, at least, um, don't know how many, objected to the film, uh, openly objected to the film, and demanded that three cuts be made uh, to the film. Uh, now, Trang Kaiga says, uh, he may not be completely honest because he has his own situation to worry about in China in terms of censorship, uh, but he said he believed the cuts related to politics. Now, politics in China could be anything. Uh, yes. Certainly, it has to do with the suicide of 1977. Mm -hmm. That's clearly a, a, a political issue, and maybe uh, some of the cultural revolution scenes uh, as well. 
So I, I, I think those were the, the main things uh, that were cut. And as you said, because of the Beijing Olympic vote in 1993, uh, again, China, uh, Beijing was uh, being, uh, they were going against Sydney, Australia, as to who mm -hmm. will hold the Olympics in the year 2000. Now, this is also an important period for U.S.-China relations because uh, um, the American Congress voted to have and to ask the International Olympic Committee not to give the the Olympics to Beijing because of human rights violations, and that upset yeah. a lot of young people in China. I mean, the surveys at the time showed 75 percent at places like Beijing University, Peking University, strongly objected. 75 percent objected to the U U.S. And, and U.S. had a good good image in China, uh, relatively at that time. Uh, why is the U.S. Congress trying to prevent China from getting the Olympics. No matter what we feel about politics, we left sports and we left China. I was very, very stupid. It's an own goal in, in football or soccer, shooting yourself in the foot. Or as Mao said, picking up a rock only to drop it on your own foot. That basically <laughs> is what it was. Um, and and so the vote came and Sydney won 43 votes to 41 votes. So people blame the US. Uh, they did other things at the time. They shopped, they stopped the Yinhe ship because they thought it was carrying weapons to uh, Iran. They stopped it and had it towed into uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, they did a number of stupid things back in 1993. That's ha what that happens after the end of the uh, Cold War, in effect. The, the Soviet Union uh, collapsed. The Berlin Wall comes down. Mm -hmm. There's great triumphalism in the U.S. We, Francis Fukuyama writes a book called The End of History. We have the New World Order mm -hmm. coming in with the United States. So it was it was a very important period of time. But um, they had to show the film, as you say. Now, some film directors, directors like you know, Lost in Beijing, which was the original title of, of Lee Yu's film, uh, which ended up Pingua, because uh, with China getting the Olympics so later in 2008, Chinese leadership was afraid that if we have a film called Lost in Beijing, people will feel you can't find your way out around Beijing. It's too difficult. So they had mm -hmm. the name change to the main character, Apple. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but she said, that the, uh, this is a long story against something I've written about in the past. Uh, she said when, when um, they showed the film without approval, uh, because it hadn't been approved yet in China, in Berlin, um, at a media screening, it wasn't a public screening, that's how she got around it. But uh, with media screening, she said, I hope we don't win an award in, 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 in Berlin, because if we do, this film is going to be really scrutinized very closely, as happened with Carol My Concubine. And they didn't win an award, as it turned out. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but the film had become so well known that, and the Olympics coming up, that they felt they had to release it. But they released it with, with uh, at least three cuts, uh, according to Chiang Kai-shek. Yeah. I see. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosen, today to um, talk to me about the whole story about this film and also tell us about 1993 is a very important year, not only to China, but also to U.S.-China relationship and then also to the world order, right? Soviet Union just collapsing, collapse and Berlin War also just like gone down. So a lot of things going on, but it's related to the film release in not only in U.S., but also in China. Um, so I hope I will talk to you Next time, Dr. Rosen, don't okay. reject me to come to my podcast. I'm happy. I'm happy to talk on your podcast if I think I have something to contribute. There's some value added. 
Wow. No, about the co-production. I already asked you for many times, so I wish. Okay, so I don't think time. I know enough about about that necessarily. I could say some things, perhaps, uh, some things, but but um, there there are some subjects that people other than myself know a lot better than I do. Okay, but I'm sure next time I will find some other topic. You, I know that you know much more than all of us, so I will ask you to come again. Okay. 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 Thank, thank you. you. Good to see you, Catherine. Good to see you, Dr. Rosen.